You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, Are You Happy Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Patricia Suggs, founder and CEO of Arise Leadership Consulting, where she helps young professionals and older professionals and who are women in leadership um, help them. She helps them with their self-confidence, um, overcoming imposter syndrome, creating boundaries, and as well as handling conflict effectively and with compassion. Um, some of her services include one-on-one consulting and group consulting. And she has several trainings that people can go through, um, women specifically in leadership. Uh, doctor, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you got here and your, your origin story and what, uh, what motivated you to start a leadership consulting business for women? Sure. Um, well, first, it's great to be with you. And I started many years ago because I'm actually retired from ministry. I pastored churches and there were very few women then um, in that area because it was in the late 70s, um, early 80s. And so I did that for a few years. And then I went back and got my doctorate and the doctorates in social gerontology or working with older adults. And I came out and became, um, was hired by the Wake Forest University School of Medicine here in, in North Carolina. And I became an associate professor and I trained health providers how to deal with older adults. And I also wrote grants. But what, what after I left there, what really, um, I wanted to focus on was helping women go through and under and know how to go through and succeed in spite of all the biases that they're faced with. And back then it was pretty, I mean, it was pretty over. I mean, they were pretty open about being discriminating against women, um, especially women who had babies that, you know, in in ministry, it was like, well, you got a baby. And I'm like, well, my husband has one too, but that didn't count. So that whole area, that was just one. I mean, there were lots of examples. But as I um, grew older, and then at this point in retirement, while it's better, it's not gone by a long shot. Um, there's still a lot of discrimination, but it's more covert. So politically correct, it's not. So they have to disguise it in other forms, which they do all the time in businesses and and still in churches. So. I just found it was really important to work with women who are leaders or aspiring to be leaders to help them navigate through all of that and come out on the other side. Um, it takes a lot of perseverance. It takes a lot of commitment, but it can be done. And it can be done in a way that is gracious as well as strong and with integrity. What is the uh, common obstacle you find women are facing and? the working world that they're coming to you with? Well, probably the biggest is the pay equity. You know, it's not equitable. Um, So, and they feel passed over for promotions. They see their male colleagues getting promotions and moving ahead quicker and they'll, they'll get paid less in the same job. That's very common. Everybody seems to know that exists, but um, it's not really getting much better. And then also they come with just concerns like they feel like they're um, they get talked over in meetings. They feel unappreciated. Um, many times in the meetings when someone, particularly a male, talks over them, 
the facilitator who's typically male or can be female doesn't do anything about it. They're allowed just to do that. And so what I help them do is direct it and be directive at towards that activity themselves. You don't have to be the facilitator of a meeting. You don't have any of that. You can stand up and say something yourself. And it, it maybe it's as easy as saying, excuse me, you, you know, let me finish. And then you can talk. Or I think I was speaking. I mean, there's lots of different things you can say, but say it in a nice way, but don't let them overtake your conversation. They also say and feel that men sometimes, especially, but it can be women too, will take credit for something that's their idea. Or they see that they present an idea in a meeting but nothing is really said much about it. It's just glossed over. A man will come back with the same idea and it's accepted. So there's just, the, you know, and then there's also studies that have been done where you know, women uh, want to avoid conflict. And that's where I, I took training and was certified, am certified in conflict resolution. And it was really important for me in my career both in in ministry and within the medical medical school, medical center, that I understood how to deal with it. It made a huge difference, Um, gave me more confidence. I'm not as, you know, I don't like conflict. Nobody does, but I don't run away from it anymore. You know, I'm definitely ready and able to deal with it um, and deal with it with strength. So I want other women to have that training as well. You know, I I did some research and I think there's over 57 percent from according to one study of respondents that said they had absolutely no training in their businesses in conflict and how to deal with it. There's lots of teams within businesses and in corporate. But even if you're an entrepreneur, there's there are areas of conflict when you have a team with. So, you know, learning how to deal with it is really key. It's no surprise that a woman would be reluctant to involve themselves in conflict where they feel like they're potentially overpowered in their workplace, that there's way more men than there is females. What like what do you think? It, I'm just assuming here that that's a large reason why. But what do you think is the reason why women are particularly avoidant of conflict? I think it's I don't know about younger, younger women like the real young ones coming up. But when I grew up and lots of women, even younger than me, grew up, it you didn't really speak out like the guys did. You know, the girls were kind of more passive, not always, but most of the majority were. And we just I think women, young girls and women were just put into service roles. I mean, that's what we did. We served others. Which is fine. I mean, it's great because I think in every job you're serving others. But I think somehow you get messages from not only your family, because my family was, I think the reason I kept pushing was they were so into, you know, concealing confidence in me that I could do what I wanted to. Um, But that made a huge difference for me. But if you don't have that, I think that impacts and also society in general. You know, it's still not female friendly in a lot of areas in society. And so you kind of get this message a lot as you're growing up and you're just hesitant to do that. You're hesitant to come up against authority when I think men tend to do that very easily, but we don't. 
Yeah, we tend to want to avoid it. It's hard. It's hard to like generalize, but I'm based on even my experience. Like, it was easier for me to speak out against my parents um, growing up than it was for my sister because they just had more control over her and didn't want like they would let me go over sleep over my friend's house. My sister really wasn't allowed things like that. And then, like you said, um, females were are more so like in service roles when they're growing up and. I feel like that sort of trains your brain to um, just if, if maybe a customer at a restaurant isn't being kind, like it trains your brain to not stand up for yourselves in those moment where, moments where you're being like disrespected because wow. you're in that service role and you're just, the customer is always first in any like restaurant. Um, and that's probably the more common, like a waitressing job is probably the most common, at least now for a young person. Um, so I definitely see where you're coming from. I do have, unless you have more comments on that, I have a question um, for our audience that might not be aware. We constantly hear the word uh, imposter syndrome. Can you explain a little bit about that and maybe um, an example of imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is where um, it's all linked back to self-confidence. So when you have the imposter syndrome, your confidence, I mean, it's because many times you're not as confident or another uh, characteristic is perfectionism. We think everything has to be perfect before, for example, if I were doing a project, I think it has, I think it has to be perfect before I put it out there or I hand it in. Um, I, and I, I definitely do that some, and I did it a lot. Yes. When I was younger, you know, you thought you had to be perfect, that nothing could be wrong. So that's part of it, but also part of it is just not feeling you're worthy. Um, for example, women, and I've even, oh gosh, I've read about and talked to women who are high up, you know, relatively speaking, as far as the power structure and of where they are. And they still have moments where that happens. Like they get a new position or a promotion and they'll have moments of, my gosh, how did, how did I get this? Or am I really up to the task? You know, is, is this, something where I'm going to be found out later that I really don't, <laughs> I'm not really fit to be in this role. That happens even at the highest levels. I read about a, a military woman who was a commander and she said, oh yeah, every once in a while that comes up, you know, it kind of hits you. It's like, hmm, am I, should I really be here? Some men actually can have that too, but I think it falls more on women than it does on men. So it really impacts what you do and how you act within your profession and even in society in general, because if you feel you're not really worthy, then you're, you don't have the confidence to go out and say, but yes, I am. And even the most confident woman is going to have that feeling periodically. I mean, it just comes up. And so the way to deal with it, the only way is just push through, you know, and do it anyway. You know, it's like, okay, I'm feeling this way, but I have this position. I'm just going to do it. I, I know I can. And you push through those moments and you keep going. You obviously have been um, in the working world a while and have noticed different shifts and like how women are treated. Is there any um, point in time um, while you have been in the working world where like maybe there was um, an artist like Dolly Parton that made girls feel more confident and open up? Is, or was there any big shifts that um, you've noticed over the years 
um, when maybe women got more or less um, confidence or more or less rights in the workplace? Or, or yeah, I, I never had a role model like that. Um, I mean, I never really got into celebrities that much, <laughs> that much. Yeah. But I mean, she's neat. Well, Dr. Parton's great, don't get me wrong. And she's done tremendous things. But um, I just really haven't ever had that. I think I've seen women in the 70s. I mean, I was growing up 60s and 70s. And so when I was growing up, it was, uh, yeah, it was really a big thing when women started being able to do stuff, you know, do more things. Um, when I first applied to seminary, I wasn't really sure because I'd never seen a female minister. I didn't know. But yet I got a catalog. I went to Duke Divinity School and I received a catalog and there was a woman on front. And I remember that moment because I thought, oh, wow, okay, I can do this. And so I submitted my application. But it was then I think that was a real turning point because I saw a woman in the role. And that I think that makes a huge difference. And it always made me feel good. And um, as I was in ministry and in, uh, and in the medical center, that when people knew I was a minister, especially young girls, it really made them feel like, oh, OK, OK, this is I've never seen this before. I didn't you know and nobody ever talks about it. Um, but the more women that began coming out and that's I guess. That first moment before I applied for seminary, but then also seeing the rights improve, the equal rights and things improve. Those were turning points. Of course, we've had some regressions in the last several years, but we keep pushing. Yeah, I've, I've honestly, in the beginning of my life, I've seen it being like a topic of debate where people um, just like the wage difference, the wage gap between males and females. Um, there's times where that gets really like is a hot topic mm-hmm. in the media. Um, but I haven't heard um, that in the media as much recently. Yeah, it um, only it comes out more in um, business magazines. And, you know, I've, I've seen it a lot there because they keep talking about how it's still an issue. You know, people forget that it's still an issue and there's no real good reason. I mean, what reason could you have if you've got two qualified people, one's male, one's female, and you pay one more than the other and they're doing the same exact job. There's no good reasoning for that. Um, There was a study done several years ago. There was, there were two scientists, um, a female and a male, and they were given applicants you know, two, uh, uh, yeah, two different applicants. No, they were given several applicants to a position and there were, they were men and women and both of them opted more for the male than they did for the female. So, and that wasn't that long ago. So there's still something ingrained in our society that still puts women second to men. It's going to take a long time before it really, really gets better. But we can't keep regressing like we have in the last couple of years. It's yeah. got, we've got to keep moving forward. I've just, in my own, from my own perspective and what I've seen, I also see that sometimes women are put in, um, are hired 
more in different industries. Like for example, like there may be more women in like marketing for a company than there is in the same company in a different like leadership role or something else, mm -hmm. or maybe like a manager role. Um, just the more client facing stuff. I feel like women might be a part of that more just mm -hmm. because they just, I don't know, seem more genuine or whatever they, they think. I don't know. Have you, well, do you have any take on that? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think women, um, women, and that's, there is a, a fairly new studies showing that women do much better as leaders of teams and of groups that we are, that we are stronger in that area, mainly because there's the nurturing part and the, you know, the innate characteristics that females have is more towards community and collaboration. Whereas for men, it's not innate. Um, they can do it and they do it well, but not as like women do. And so women are more into caring for the team members, making sure they're okay, making sure, you know, everything about them, you know, that they're functioning well. And if they're not, they want to find out why they don't just, you know, chuck them out or whatever. So it, yeah. it's really important that women um, be given leadership over teams. And I've read more and more recently about how businesses do better when they have female leaders, much mm. better. I would agree with that. I feel like the leaders that I've had, the, the female ones, I just felt more comfortable with just because my yeah. mother was more of the figure growing up that was more um, nurturing and making me feel safe and just the one that's always at the house. Um, so just like in general, I feel like that might be a com more common experience with people. So whenever they're in the working world, they're just have more comfort with someone who's a female as opposed to a male. And it's just, I guess the, the only obstacle that could arise is the imposter syndrome and just making girls feel like they deserve to be in that role and that giving them the confidence to be there because they and do I belong there. I think team members, too, you have to be careful because there will be men that don't think you should be there um, in that position, you know, and they'll they'll possibly cause some issue. Not always, but they'll possibly cause issues. But there are other men who have found that it's great working with women. You know, they like working with the teams. You know, my husband's one of them. He's a minister as well um, and retired. And he's working now some with hospice. And it's almost all female led where he's at. And he said he finds it really refreshing. He said, you know, it's it's just different. I mean, their yeah. energy is different, though. The way they approach problems and issues are different. So I, mean, I think more and more we're coming to see that the society is beginning to recognize it. And I think women have to. The other issue, I think, with women growing up and becoming leaders is that we tend to think, or at least it used to be, and I think it still is to a certain extent, that we have to act and be like men in order to be successful, because that's all that's been in leadership before. And so women need to understand that they can be themselves. They can be a woman and bring out all of our you know, characteristics and be a really good leader. We don't have to act like the men do. And in fact, it's better if we don't, because men and women, you know, it's not a matter of replacing men at all. It's a matter of let's work collaboratively. Complimenting, yeah. yeah. And if we complement each other and you can't compliment if you're acting the same. So it's it's really important to bring out our own talents and our own strengths 
so we can complement with the men and then the men will be stronger and we will too. I was just thinking the same thing that there's different leadership styles. You don't necessarily have to adopt the same leadership style that most men have. That's and right. I think, I, I know it's a stereotype, but maybe men just seem to be more stern and like with their, with their counterparts, with their people and, and maybe might utilize like yelling at people if so they do something wrong or like maybe more um, quick to fire people or whatever it is, like the stereotypes and the females yeah. are more compassionate right for example as a stereotype and they don't have to be that that way i mean they can be compassionate but they can be stern as well i mean they can stand up and be strong in that and that's what you learn when you learn the conflict stuff it's not just about managing a particular issue well it's about your whole communication and when you learn the communication things that are so important with conflict resolution. And I call it reconciliation because I would rather see relationships saved or salvaged if possible. And so it's not just resolving an issue and moving on. It's actually establishing a stronger relationship with whoever the conflict is with. And so you, you can't really do all the great communicating if you don't understand those skills. And, you know, two of them are just, deep listening, willing to really hear what someone has to say, letting them talk, and then powerful questions, knowing what to ask to help them get to the root of the issue or of the problem. And when you learn how to do that, it makes a huge difference in just everyday communication. Those two skills are super important. They go hand in hand in life as well. Just having curiosity. Yeah. And, and that creates a lot of questions in your head, but it's also about knowing how to communicate the right question and word it the right way so that you get answered the question that you actually want to be answered. Right. It's, it's, it's something that I've like been into. I'm, I'm a very curious person. I'm always talking to people, as I've told you, meeting different people, asking them about happiness. And the reason yeah. why I love it is because I'm very curious and I want to gain wisdom from other people. There's so, always more to learn. Um, oh, yeah. Would you say that you've uh, that you're that you're happy now with like you said you're retired um, and you, you had a, a career as a minister? And you oh some, yeah, yeah. Are I you mean, happy? after you had know, yeah, I am. I had forty some years in my career, um, and yeah, I mean, you could say I'm I was tired when I first re- retired, um, but no, I mean, actually, doing this kind of work energizes. And I like it a lot. I love it. And so, yeah, I'm happy because I feel that I'm doing what I really am good at. And also I have a you know great family. I have people who care and love me and I care and love them. And I have you know good friends that I care about and love. So, yeah, life's been good. I mean, yeah, there have been ups and downs, but overall yeah. life's been good. And a common theme is that, some of the happier people I've I've had those downs, I've had those challenges in life that they've been able to overcome. And another yeah. common theme is what you said about family. Everybody does like a lot of happy people do talk about how family is an essential part of their happiness. And oh yeah, but um yeah, it's a good back. It's like everybody's sort of backbone. It's it is like it really something is. to fall back on. If, I mean, and the people who lack family, you can you can see that how much it harms yeah. them. Well, and it hurts, you know, it it hurts them. It really does. 
And, you know, I think when you have your ups and downs, it's when you have that support system that makes a huge difference. Exactly. Well, it's been very nice talking to you today, uh, Dr. Patricia. Yeah. Wonderful. Is there, um, I want our audience to be able to reach you if if they want to maybe consume any social media content and would there be any ways that they can reach you that you can tell them right now? Um, they can go to maybe your LinkedIn or your website. Yeah. My LinkedIn is, um, linkedin.com. And then I think it's slash in slash Patricia, Dr. Patricia Suggs. It's all one, one thing. And then, um, my website is ariseleadershipconsulting.com. And my email, if they want to reach me that way, is patricia at pksuggscoaching.net. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on our podcast today. Oh, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you.